Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Gillian West about what boards need to think about in doing a reconciliation action plan and why they're important. We might also touch on cultural awareness for board members. Now, before I introduce Gillian, though, I'm going to do an acknowledgement of country, which Gillian emailed me just before this and said, can we do an acknowledgement of country? And I'm like, yes, of course. And then went, oh, my God, I've never done it on the podcast before. So I'm going to do one now and I will incorporate it into all the future podcasts as well. So firstly, thank you for the prompt. I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which of which I am. So I'm on Wurundjeri country, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and any First Nations people we might have here today, like your good self, Gillian. I know some of the Take On Board community have heard me say this, but I think if we're talking governance, the governance or the stewardship of the lands by the First Nations people before white man came along and messed things up is pretty incredible. And I think it's a an amazing testament to good governance and good stewardship. So, yeah, I think there is a connection in talking about governance and the amazing care for the lands, the waters and the air uh, by our First Nations people. I'd also like to acknowledge that this land was never ceded and always was, always will be Aboriginal land. So with that, I would like to tell you a bit more about Gillian. Gillian is a proud Palawa woman from the islands of Bass Strait and proud Boonarong woman from Point Nepean, born in Victoria with a lengthy career supporting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in work, education and support in their life journey. Gillian from Namukalurna has worked extensively in the Indigenous space for 20 years and is strongly committed to working alongside community organisations, developing partnerships and building cultural capacity. She strives to give Aboriginal people a voice through mentoring, employment and education with the aim of closing the gap. Gillian's passion comes from her mother and father. Gillian's father is Japanenka Errol West, who left a legacy in the education field for Aboriginal people. He was known as the education warrior. Jill says, I follow in his footsteps 
and every day he walks alongside me in the dream time. In his thesis, he wrote, I first acknowledge the motivation to write is the obligation I have to all my beautiful children. There are 12 living and some in the spiritual world, and to them I dedicate this thesis with the expectation that their lives overall will be richer than mine. With that, thank you, thank you, and um, welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Gillian. Thank you, hell yeah. Awesome to have you here, and just a brief shout out to the fabulous Amanda Robinson, who did the introduction between Gillian and I, and suggested her when I asked the Take On Board community for someone to have a chat to about reconciliation action plans. So thanks, Amanda. Here we are finally getting it done. Before we delve into reconciliation action plans, as always, I like to dig a little bit deeper about my guest. So where were your mum and dad born? I know they were a big influence on your life. Where were they born and where are your ancestors from? Okay, so my father, um, Japanunga Errol West, was born in Launceston and he grew up in a place called Flinders Island for a, a part of his life in a tight Aboriginal community on Killacaranke Bay on Flinders Island. My grandfather, his father was born on Cape Barron Island. So there's five Phoenix Islands between the bottom of Australia and Tasmania. And that's one of them is Flinders Island, which means that, you know, has a really special place to me. And my mother was born in Williamstown and we grew up in Newport. So where I was born in Williamstown as well. My mother grew up in Newport for a while too. There you go. Although I think a little before you grew up there. (laughs) I wasn't from Newport. (laughs) Right. So you've talked about where you were born and grew up. What about your siblings? Do you have siblings? How many do you have? So I've got um, an identical twin sister, uh, an older sister, and then I've got three younger sisters and a younger brother. So there's seven of us all together. Gillian, do you happen to know the traditional owners or the first peoples where you grew up? <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Bunurong people in Williamstown. <laughs> and how many languages do you speak? My first language is English and I am learning uh, some languages at the moment, very late in my life, but it's uh, time for me now to start learning. I do have a language book from Tasmania that I read and um, some Bunurong language that I'm learning at the moment. Fantastic. How are you finding learning the languages? Yeah, so uh, they are different languages, so it it can be difficult at times, but I'm only just taking one word at a time. Uh, Please don't ask me to say a word at the moment. I will come back to you on that. (laughs) Will do. All right. Um, And finally, where do you feel your place is or where's your home? I find that being born in Victoria is my home but my heart feels like it's on Flinders Island. Mm. Um, I've been able to go there a couple of times and, you know, when my dad passed away 20 years ago, we sent him off on a cultural ceremony from Tomahawk uh, and he went straight, like the bass straight, he went straight on his canoe that was lit up um, straight to Flinders Island. So... I feel like my grandfather being born in Cape Barron, um, my dad growing up on Killacrankey Bay and his ashes just heading straight for there. That, that's where my heart, heart is. Mm-hmm. But my heart is also in Melbourne as well because I need to acknowledge my mum's um, non-Indigenous side and, and that strength as well. I know whenever I think about that question, where's my place or where's my home, I'm not sure I can land on one spot. There's a number of places that are home. And my dad said, uh, philosophy is the pursuit of wisdom. 
and for those who are barefooted and touching the ground are at the core of philosophy. So to me, as long as your feet are on the ground, you are where life is. Oh, there is something about feet on the ground, something literally grounding. I think there is something about just taking that moment with feet on the ground. And Yeah, and we, all, we need to have our feet on the ground as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people um, mm. on our own countries, but as well as um, sharing it, the reconciliation journey with each other as well as non-Indigenous mm. people. Well, look, let's turn to that. Thank you for letting me delve a little bit deeper about you. Let's turn to then the board's role in reconciliation action plans. Can we start with what is a reconciliation action plan? And then maybe we can turn to what the board's role is in developing one. So when we talk about reconciliation, we talk about it as an ongoing journey. And that journey is always working together, whether you're Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander, German, Australian, non-Australian, first Australians, it's all of us working together to realise that there was a, a great history, a sad history, and working together to close the gaps in what we have still to this day. And just understanding that, that these changes can be meaningful and with Reconciliation Australia by our side, with the journey all the time, you know, every part of that journey is with Reconciliation Australia and being endorsed by, by Reconciliation Australia. And to me, it's like Australia's colonial history needs to be known and, and taught. And we can teach it respectfully. We are teachers and we can, we can teach it so people don't feel guilty and that people don't feel they have to say sorry. When it comes to boards, I think, it's got to come from the top and the yeah. boards are the top. We look up to boards. You know, I've done some training for boards and mm-hmm. they loved it. It was two hours and they wanted me to do a whole day because people don't understand that this journey is really a journey about themselves as individuals as well, if that makes sense. It does. And it's even interesting to hear in there. We can learn together without making people feel guilty or have to say sorry. It's, I don't know. I don't know. This is just my view, but it, it was generations before me, but I think that's still okay for me to say sorry. Like, that's all right because I am sorry. It wasn't me, but I am still sorry. So, anyway, but I know different people have other views about those sorts of things. So Yeah, and I think people have the uh, misconception that we're asking individuals to say sorry, but it's a past mistreatment by the government of that time and that time was only... 1967 was when we were first able to vote and be part of the census. So it's my mum's generation, not even later. It's just near my generation. So for boards, and again, I wholeheartedly agree that Tony's from the top and boards should be vocally supporting and part of these things. But there is always that what does the organisation do and what does the board do and where does that line come in? So what's the board's role? Maybe it's starting off the process or asking for the process to happen or what's the board's role in developing a reconciliation action plan? I think the board's role is to to ask for it to be started but also mm-hmm. in asking that hopefully being able to have some time for a board member to actually sit on that reconciliation action working group. The board members will get so much out of it that they even would not even realise you know, to be part of it, to be part of a reconciliation journey that brings people together 
and you know works towards a, a shared future which is what we want as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people is just to share you know share our culture and our knowledge and coming from the board you know there's no one better than I would love to learn from is is a board member it's interesting I know one of the boards that I'm on is the Royal Women's Hospital and we're We've done our first reconciliation action plan and we're about to embark on our second. But it's interesting you say that. Uh, the board has certainly very supportive of our reconciliation action plan and often get reports back around it, but we didn't have a board member involved on the working group. I'm wondering, for the organisations that you work with and advise with around this, does it happen very often? Uh, it doesn't happen often. But doesn't happen often enough by the sounds of things. <laughs> but it doesn't have it doesn't have to happen e- either. If it comes it comes from a, the board saying, oh, we think we should have this, can you get a working group together? Mm. You know, make sure you've got an Aboriginal person on that board, uh, a working group, sorry. Make sure you've got, you know, someone from an engagement perspective, mm. community perspective, uh, and then we can look over it. Even if yeah. they look over it, the reconciliation and endorse it their way as well. And it differs with so many different um, organisations as well. And I'll just tell you a little bit of a a fact that, you know, in 2006 was when the uh, Reconciliation Australia started its Reconciliation Action Plan journey or program with eight organisations. And one of them was BHP, ANZ Bank, Canberra Investment Corporation, Centrelink, Melbourne City Council, Oxfam Australia, South Australia Department of Administrative and Information Services and Yarn Teen Aboriginal Organisation. So that's a great start and it just keeps building. You can see the diverse different organisations there. Let's say the board of an organisation X have said, right, it's time, we need to do a reconciliation action plan, let's get on it. What are the steps? What happens? What, in practical terms, whether the board's involved in the working group or not, presumably setting up a working group is one part of it, but even setting up the working group probably has some steps in there as well. So what, what in practical terms, what happens? So you need to go to Reconciliation Australia first to um, get some information, which will be a template that they have. And Reconciliation Australia have mandatory actions deliverables and then ask to ha- you put your own actions and deliverables in there and then you're guided by reconciliation australia with steps and you you may then build your working group and that working group will support that whole journey and it go back to reconciliation australia and they'll come back may go back and forth three or four times it doesn't mean you're getting it wrong you just need to get the measures in place to have a successful action plan and they come in four stages as well what are the four stages so the first one is the reflect wrap that's the one we've just done yeah and then you've got your innovate wrap and then it goes up to a stretch wrap i have to get back with the last one if that's all right <laughs> and a fourth one excellent so you said that Reconciliation Australia has some mandatory actions. What are the sorts of things? So the first Reconciliation Action Plan that any organisation would do would be their Reflect Wrap. What are some of the mandatory actions you'd expect there? So that would be about community engagement, building community engagement. So going out there and finding organisations or community organisations that you can work with to help celebrate national 
um, NAIDOC week and National Reconciliation Week and things like that. The deliverables will always be achievable. You just need to make sure that it's not too much. There's yes. not too many actions within the, the mandatory ones. It would be more about in your um, innovate reflect wrap that you would be building relationships and it's like your first step on a yeah. reconciliation action journey. So it's a year and it's there's not going to be a lot of actions and deliverables in that. And I'm guessing that... That first one, it's, I don't know, your foundation or it's your starter one where you start to engage. I'm guessing once you get to your next one, the Innovate Reconciliation Action Plan, there might be less mandatory actions because it's more about what comes from that engagement that suits the particular organisation, like the range of organisations you named before, from government departments to mining organisations to banks. They will all have very different actions because they're different types of organisations. Would that, would that be right? Yeah, and you, your reflect wrap gets you ready for mm. future wraps yes. as well. So, you know, it would be about deciding what your vision for reconciliation is and exploring the, the spheres of influence you have over the place where you sit in your organisation as well. Yeah, Engaging with Aboriginal people is very important too, I will say, on your working group yeah. to make sure you've got an Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander and I'll always say Torres Strait Islander because it is a distinct, different culture, but it is yeah. just as important. Um, and yeah. recognising the Human Rights Act that Torres Strait Islanders actually should be recognised as well. So in Victoria, for example, where we are a long way from the Torres Strait Islands, would you expect that on, let's say, the Royal Women's Hospital wrap? I have no idea, to be honest. I know we had some Aboriginal people involved in our working group, but I don't know that we had a Torres Strait Islander person involved in it. Is that okay? I totally understand they're distinct peoples, but does it depend on their geography as well, how that would come together? As long as you've got a cultural lens, I say, mm. then that's the main thing. It doesn't mm. have to be Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander or Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander, Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people are, we have that cultural lens, that cultural yes. obligations, that cultural voice that we have. So, you know, as long as you've got at least an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person, it doesn't have to be one or the other, it doesn't have to be both. Okay. And this is, yeah, speaking for myself as well, I will say. Yes. So once an organisation embarks on that reflect process and engaging, do organisations generally get someone such as yourself or other people who work in the area to support them in that process or is it generally run internally by the organisation, potentially by an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person from within the organisation or potentially a non-Aboriginal person or Torres Strait Islander? Like how does that come together? Who normally leads the process and who supports the process? Not in a, you know, support make the cup of tea way but supports the cultural awareness side of it. <laughs> It would depend on organisations. So councils, it would need to come from, uh, you know, the person that leads that community engagement or that Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander area. And it could be different in different councils as well. So it could come from an Aboriginal person that works in the organisation or it could come from a non-Indigenous person saying, or the CEO down saying, we need this. Yeah. This is what we want. Can you get a working group together? Uh, generally, I've seen working groups with five staff internally, one's Aboriginal, one's Torres Strait Islander, a couple of community members from outside the organisation. Um, they have consultations 
as well with people that write raps for a living. Um, It's very diverse in who you have on your reconciliation action plan working group. So it sounds like it's just get started for boards. If you haven't got a reconciliation action plan, ask about it and strongly encourage and support the organisation to get started on it. And for that initial one in particular, the Reflect Reconciliation Action Plan, you're doing a bit of a mapping exercise almost. Who are our key stakeholders and then engaging them in the process? Yeah, and who's in that footprint in in where you are? You may have someone, you may be on Wurundjeri Country, but you may have a Gunai Kurnai person uh, working or living in community. You'd in, you would invite that person into the working group they'd like to be in, in yes. it, things like that. And like we said, with that reflect wrap, it's more about scoping out what you what's out there. Then you go to your innovative wrap, and that's about implementing reconciliation initiatives. So and, having a deeper understanding. And they will be built on again this kind of specific requirements of the organisation or industry or stakeholders and people in within their sphere. Yeah. And it'll all be always be Reconciliation Australia that's guiding yes. guiding anybody in that in those processes in the in the action plans. And internally in those working groups, who should be leading it? Like is there any tension might not be the right word, but around, you know, should it be the white fellows going, well we need to do the hard work in this? And we will take the lead on it and walk with you on it. We don't want to get ahead or be behind or whatever it may be. Or is it something that should rightfully be very much led by the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people? Because I can see advantages in both. You don't want to say, well, this is your problem, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, you do it. What's the right balance there? As an Aboriginal person myself, it should be run by a non-Indigenous person. Uh, to That's what the reconciliation journey is about, is about learning about who we are and, and what makes us who we are and the very being of who we are, which is our culture. So, you know, having that led by a non-Indigenous person, five other non-Indigenous people in, in the working group that are supporting our people is one of the best ways of moving forward in reconciliation because I talk to a lot of aunts and uncles and, you know, some of them are just really tired of having to educate people. I love educating people. Like my dad was a teacher, he was a doctor of philosophy and was pulled out of school in grade five. And I just love teaching. So, but by the time I get to 70, 80, maybe I might be tired because you relive your your stories and your trauma and intergenerational trauma. So having that led by non-Indigenous people and carrying the load without that sounding like I'm being facetious or or rude, but, you know, it it really is, you know, it it warms your heart. I think that's good to know for us non-Indigenous people that this is my interpretation of it, but it's, it's kind of our responsibility to do it and to engage with you and to do it in a culturally sensitive way and that includes yeah just taking responsibility for it basically that we need to step up not you at all and that if by us stepping up and taking responsibility for it that's not culturally insensitive it's actually culturally sensitive yeah it's great yeah and I just wanted to touch back on if it's okay that we have the you know we have the uh, uh, reflect wrap the innovate wrap the stretch and then the elevate rap so they go to higher higher statuses as well I'm pretty sure that Centrelink because I worked there for 13 years um have a stretch rap the highest rap ever 
the work right. that what the work that they've done. Yeah. Okay. Hang on. So you said Centrelink was one of the first organisations to put together a wrap, even and I think you said that was back in what two thousand and six. So sixteen years ago, Centrelink did their first wrap, and they're still inverted commas only at stretch. They haven't got to. Al- no, oh, they're at got elevate. To elevate. Sorry, ah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure they're at elevate, uh, and that was, that was a lot of hard work yes. by uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander staff, as well as um, the non-Indigenous staff, and working in a federal government department. You got to look after the, the customers and the yeah. people as well. So getting that done was, you know, really. Really great. Us at the Royal Women's Hospital, we're getting on to our Innovate wrap, but, uh, you know, we're pleased just to be on the journey and to start it, yeah. Remember one step. Yes. Well, that's right. If not, when do you get started? In a moment, I'd like to just get some brief reflections from you about cultural awareness for board directors. But before we do that, is there anything else just in terms of reconciliation action plans that you'd like to share with the Take On Board community about the board's role or anything else in there? Yeah, so um, like I said, with the board's role, I think they can choose what role they would like, but being part of it, whether it be harnessing that information down or just being let us look over that reconciliation action plan, being part of it in, in some kind of way is imperative to me. It's always really got to come from the top down. And just to make sure that, you know, that when you do your actions and your deliverables, don't make them too many and too unachievable because you won't be able to achieve. I've seen some places have a um, hundred and something actions mm-hmm. and, yes. you know, deliverables because they just want to be able to do it. But start at small steps and you can always grow and grow as each rap goes along. But to have boards in, involved in the rap would be fantastic in my view. You are a woman after my own heart in terms of, I think of it in terms of strategy development. Often you see strategies, oh, we're going to do everything and we're going to do it tomorrow. It's like, let's just work out what our resources are and what we can actually get done and have, I think it needs to be that balance between stretch and ambition and reality. And you don't want it leaning too far on either of those sides. Well, that's great to know. Like, again, if I reflect at the Royal Women's Hospital, the I don't think the organisation is in any doubt about how important the board sees the work on the reconciliation action plan. It regularly comes back to us in terms of progress. Whilst we're not on the working group, I think that was partly to ensure that the organisation wasn't held back, I guess, by a board's involvement in that. So it sounds like we're on the right track, which is fantastic. Um, Great. All right. Thank you. That, I think that'll be really useful for organisations to think about in terms of the board's role. Now, in the last couple of minutes, I would love to just turn briefly to, yeah, cultural awareness for board directors. Here in the Take On Board community, we know that diversity and inclusion is vital in any group of people and boards are included in that. So what should boards be thinking about in terms of cultural awareness? So when we talk about culture, we talk about who we are and culture is the very essence of us as people which it's our life birth and death our dream time and our dreaming so it's the most important thing in our in our lives is our culture and 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 having an awareness from non-indigenous people it it just makes things so much easier 
uh, for us to navigate our uh, living in two worlds. So we live in two worlds and we have our contemporary Western world and we have our cultural world. So having to balance them both can be uh, really, really hard at times. Having that awareness of, you know, why my skin is white, saying to me, I thought you're Aboriginal, you know, your skin's white. And I'll just say, well, after this training, let's talk. And I had someone say that to me. And after training, the person was crying and said, I'm really sorry. I said, it's okay. Because people weren't taught our history in school, in our curriculum. And part of my dad's mission and was to have culture being taught in schools from a very early age and higher education and having that awareness of our cultural obligations in the contemporary society Offensive terms and myths, the difference between the flags, assimilation, colonisation, exemption certificates, you know, where it says on one that it's your chance to live like a white man and it wasn't even that long ago. So this is, you know, having that cultural awareness can just change the perception of someone, someone's idea of who we are as people and, and where we come from and where we're going that have had that perception for 40, 50 years and in one cultural awareness session it can change that whole 40 50 years mm-hmm. of that thinking and move it forward so that you're not upsetting or offending an employee that's indigenous because you're not aware of why that yeah. person's skin's white it's so important to learn about our intergenerational trauma and why we still suffer intergenerational trauma you know we're trying to say intergenerational healing but if we can just we can just teach that the healing will come with um, non-Indigenous people being taught the history of Black Australia, really, and why Australia Day is a very contentious topic, but Mm -hmm. why that means so much to us that that day could be named something else or changed in a respectful way. Absolutely. So having that, you know, I know I've done so many Indigenous cultural awareness training for people and and I have changed their lives in one day you know, and they mm-hmm. will never, ever forget what yeah. I've taught them, ever. Yes. I'm, I'm guessing those training days are tough going, probably for you and the participants. Yeah. Um, a day of tough learning. Small price in a way. I mean, for First Nations people, there has been generations and generations of pain for us to sit around for a day and learn some of that stuff, even though it's difficult and painful. It can be one of the best days in their lives because they're like, wow, Jill, I didn't know this. And I had 28 people once crying. And I said, why are you crying? And they're like, well, we never knew this. Mm. We did not know this, Jill. And I'm like, well, it's okay now you do. And now, you know, you can change lives now. That's right. White people need to actively take some responsibility in that as well. Like there can be lots of, we weren't taught at schools. Why weren't we told? There also needs to be a little bit of why haven't we been asking more questions and seeking more around this as well. Obviously there's your organisation that provides some of this training and cultural awareness. And I'll make sure we put a link to your organisation in the, in the show notes. Is there other resources that you can suggest for the Take On Board community? Is there books? Is there podcasts? Is there uh, films? What else can you suggest for learning? I would really suggest if they aren't going to do Indigenous cultural awareness training to watch Bringing Them Home DVD, uh, mm-hmm. and that's Into the Stolen Generation. It's yep. an amazing film that I play in my training. I would say please visit Reconciliation Australia, mm-hmm. Reconciliation Victoria, 
there's some great movies like Rap Proof Fence. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. NITV, amazing. Watch that as well. You know, reach out to, if you want to go to an Aboriginal organisation, you can ask an Aboriginal person or Torres Strait Islander person that you know to introduce you. Community protocol is to be introduced by an mm-hmm. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander person. So there's, you know, then it even goes into community engagement, community protocols, things yes. like that. Don't overuse an organisation. You know, there's just so much to, to what we talk about. With you know, we say reconciliation action plans. And can I correct myself on something I said? I did not add when I talked about the 2006 organisations for the raps. There was also Torres Strait Islander Corporation onto that as well. So my apologies. If you if you look at my my website, it just says you know you know listening to our voices, learning our history, and listening to our truth. You know, it's just so important. Oh, Jill, so much in there. What are the key things you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? I want them to please talk to an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander person and just say, tell me your story if you feel up to it. Or where are you from? Do you need any support in what you're doing in your work? Or not that we can't do it because we're very educated people, but you know, they may have something they're holding that they don't feel they can share because they don't feel culturally safe. So just be aware, just be aware of our history and and who we are as people and we the oldest living race in the world and um, our culture is very rich and diverse and we can teach you so much that you won't even realise what we can teach you. <laughs> you know, just having a yarn to us and a yarn is talking. That That's what we, we love, telling stories and we love just having a yarn. Here at the Take On Board community, we love that as well. So thank you for sharing, you know, some of your story, some of your wisdom, you know, some of the resources and practical steps as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amanda, again, for making the introduction. But yes. Yes, Amanda, thank thank you. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for sharing so much with the Take On Board community today. Thank you. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.